Good morning. Thank you, Pastor, for those kind words of introduction. I'm so grateful to Pastor Robert Case for his kind invitation this morning to share God's word with you, what he has placed upon my own heart. And I want to thank Brother Suresh and his family for the ways in which they have hosted me and for their hospitality. I look forward to all that God has in store for us this morning as we look into the truth that is found within his word. There was a young preacher, and he had just concluded his sermon at a local country church, and he was standing in the back of the sanctuary. And an elderly woman went up to him and said, Dear preacher, your sermon today reminded me of two very important things. It reminded me of God's peace, and it reminded me of God's love. The young preacher was rather taken back, and he looked at this elderly woman and asked her to explain herself. She looked at him and said, It reminded me of God's peace because everything that you said surpassed all my understanding. And then she said, it reminded me of God's love because your sermon really endured forever. (laughs) And so it is my sincere prayer this morning that as we look into his word, that what I share with you, what God has placed upon my own heart, will enlighten your minds and that I'll be able to do it within the time that has been allotted to me. Would you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, as we look at your word on this beautiful Sunday morning in this wonderful sanctuary that you have provided, I pray that you will speak to us. I pray that you will be with each and every one of us gathered here in your name, exalting you, worshiping you, because you're worthy of all adoration and praise, because of who you are. Lord, as we look at the truth found within your word, I pray that it will be embedded in our hearts and help us by your grace and for your glory to embody it in our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title for the sermon this morning is Journeying with Christ. Journeying with Christ. With all of the things that converge in our lives, all the unexpected twists and turns of life, with everything that is happening in the world, in the Middle East, in various parts of our lives, In this journey with Christ, how do we journey forward with a sense of confidence and a sense of hope? If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. A very, very familiar portion of Scripture. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I'm going to do something very Indian this morning. In India, whenever a preacher gets up on the pulpit... If he has a verse that needs to be read, he will look at the congregation and he'll say, can one of you please read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Anyone here, any version? (laughs) Go ahead.
Thank you, my dear brother. You see, the context of this passage is one of Jesus preaching to the multitudes for an extended period. And then in verse 35, he looks at his disciples and he tells them, let us pass over to the other side. And the Bible says, the scripture says, that the disciples got into the boat with Jesus and they journeyed with him on that day from one side to the other. My dear brothers, my dear sisters, life itself is a journey, is it not? Every single moment, every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year, we journey on in this life through the various passages of life, the unexpected twists and turns of life. And as we journey along with Christ, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, as those who love him, as those who worship him, as those who serve him, as we journey with Christ, as we make that journey from one side to the other, just as the disciples did on that day. Jesus wants to give us three promises for the journey. Three very simple yet profound promises for your journey and for my journey as we journey along with him. And the first promise is this. We have the promise of his presence. We have the promise of his presence. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says that they took him as he was in the boat, or they took him as he was in the ship, depending on your translation. He was with them. His presence was with them. He is a God whose presence is with us, a God who abides with us every single moment, every single dimension of our lives. St. Athanasius declared, the self-revealing word is in every dimension, up above in creation, down below in the incarnation, in the depths in Hades, in the breath all over this world, his presence pervades all things. His presence pervades all things. You see, the self-revealing word is also the ever-abiding Father. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just something that we repeat during the Christmas season. If you are a Christian, that is the energizing reality in your life. That he is Emmanuel, a God who is with you every single moment of your life, in every dimension, arena, and area of your life. That is why the Bible says that we live and move and have our being in him, saturated by the presence of he who abides with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We have the promise of his presence as we journey along with Christ. But my dear friends, the promise of his presence does not exempt you. It does not exempt me from the storms of life. That's the biblical truth. Look at verse 37. What does it say? It says that the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Matthew in his gospel uses a Greek word seismos, from which we get the English word seismology and seismograph. This wave was of such seismic proportions that it absolutely frightened even the experienced fishermen in the boat. We have the promise of his presence, but the promise of his presence does not exempt us from the storms of life. In fact, it was because they were following Jesus, abiding in his presence, that they got into the storm in the first place. Is that not true? If they had not followed Jesus, if they had stayed on the shores, they would not have experienced 
the storm. My dear friends, sometimes you can be in the center of God's will, in the center of God's purpose, and still be in the center of the storm. Sometimes following Jesus, hearing his call, being led by the Holy Spirit, doing his will and his purpose for your life, following him with a passion, with a yearning, seeking his will, puts you right in the middle of the storm. A little girl wanted to go up to a hilltop where her elder brother enjoyed playing. When they got to the pathway that led up to the hill, she began to murmur and complain. She said, all I see are stones and bumps. How do we get to the top? The elder brother looked at her and asked her, how else do you think we'll get to the top? The stones and the bumps are what we step on to get there. David Brainerd, the great missionary, once said, there is no situation, there is no circumstance, there is no trial, there is no obstacle, there is no worry, there is no fear, there is nothing that can ever touch me unless, first and foremost, it has gone past God and gone past Christ. If it has come that far, then it has come with a great big purpose. If any of these things touch my life, if any of these things come into my life context, in my life journey, as I journey along with Christ, then it has come with a great big purpose. The promise of his presence was not given so that they could avoid the storm. The promise of his presence was given so that they could get through the storm. This morning, God gives you the promise of his presence. God gives me the promise of his presence to get you and me through the storms of life that we face in our life journey. You see, God is always present with us. The question is not if God is present. The only question is, are you and I aware of his ever-abiding presence? It is one thing for God to promise his presence. It's quite another thing for us to appropriate that presence in the context of our lives. Look at verse 38. What does it say? It says that Jesus was sleeping in the stern, in the hinder part of the ship. Where is that? That's the back part of the ship. He's sleeping on a pillow, and the disciples are running around trying to do whatever they can to save themselves. And then they finally rush to him, and they cry out, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Notice first and foremost that Jesus is in the hinder part, in the back part of the ship. That's usually where we place him sometimes in our own lives, don't we? All the way in the back. And then we try everything that we can. And when everything fails, all our energy is expended, all our resources are expended. When nothing seems to work, we run to him, just like the disciples did. And we cry out, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In your life and mine, in our life journey, this ever-abiding Father, this Christ of unlimited and unfailing love is patiently waiting for us to recognize his presence, his presence. A little girl could not sleep through the night, and she kept crying all night long. Her father tried to console her, but she kept sobbing. The father, out of a sense of frustration, finally asked her, Honey, what can I do for you? What can I do to stop you from crying? She brushed aside her tears, looked at him, and said, Just stay with me. If only I can feel your presence, I can get through the darkest night. I have faced many dark nights in my life, many of them. About 20, 25 years ago, 
I really didn't know what was going to happen in my life. A great tragedy struck in my family, a medical issue, and it broke me apart. I could not live on anymore. For the next eight to ten years, my life was a mess. The only thing that got me through is His presence. And I can tell you honestly this morning, I'm standing before you because of His unfailing presence in my life and in my family. I know many of you might have similar stories. God said to Moses in Exodus 33:14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you peace. The psalmist asked, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? You're right there. Your presence is there in every dimension of my life. Every single day, every single moment. You see, I have no confidence in a person who stands within the security of the shores and wishes me well while I'm sailing the bumpy seas of life. But I have absolute faith and confidence and hope in a person whose presence is with me, navigating me through the troubled waters of life. That's what he does. Never leave you. Never forsake you. And he's not a man that he should lie. Dottie Rambo, that great hymn writer, wrote this marvelous hymn many years ago. I feel the touch of hands so warm and tender. He's leading me in paths that I must trot. I'll have no fear, for Jesus walks beside me, for I'm sheltered, sheltered in the very arms of God. I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I stand secure in the promise of his presence. You can stand secure in the promise of his presence. Journeying with Christ, we have the promise of his presence. Secondly, we have the promise of his power. We have the promise of his power. A little girl was sitting on her grandpa's lap, and she touched the rough cheeks on his face, and she looked at him and asked him, Grandpa, did God make you? The grandpa smiled, looked at her, and said, Yes, honey, God is all-powerful. He can do anything in this world, and he made me, but he made me a long time ago. Then she touched her own smooth cheeks, and then she asked her grandpa, but grandpa, did God make me as well? And the grandpa said, yes, honey, God is all-powerful, and he made you, but he made you just a little while ago. She touched her smooth cheeks once again, and then she looked at her grandpa and said, God is getting better at it, isn't he? <laughs> Look at verse 39. What does it say? It says that Jesus arose. Jesus arose, and he looked at the winds and the waves, and he said, peace, be still. And the Bible says, the scripture says, that immediately the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And there was a great calm. You see, the promise of his power that steadies your soul and steadies my soul when we face the stormy seas of life is the fact that everything that is over your head and everything that is over my head is still under his feet. Do you believe that this morning? It is still under the feet of the master who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, once said, he holds all things in the hands of his omnipotence and beneath the eye of his omniscience. Holds all things in the universe, every single detail, within the hands of his omnipotence and beneath the eye of his omniscience. When he says, let it be so, it is so. 
When he says, let it be done, it is done. By one word of his mouth, think about it. One word of his mouth, he brought the entire universe and all the complexity of the cosmos into being, from the macro world of relativity to the micro world of the quantum. Alfred Noyes once said, the universe is neither centered on the earth nor on the sun. It is centered on God himself. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, declared, God's power is like himself, self-existent and self-sustaining. The mightiest of men cannot add a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. He sits on no butterous throne. He leans on no assisting arms. His court is not maintained by its courtiers, nor does he borrow splendor from his creatures. He is himself the great source and originator of all power. Not relative power, but maximal power, absolute power, universal power, cosmic power, unlimited power. The God of all power and authority is the one who says, my power is available for you in your life journey. We read in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. That word was is in the imperfect tense. So it literally means in the beginning was the word, is the word, and always will be the word. In the beginning was the word speaks of, speaks of his divinity. The word was with God speaks of his deity. The word was God speaks of his equality. Every word, every promise, and every prophecy, and every miracle, including this one, shows him to be God Almighty, the maker, on heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth, in your life and mine, and over the forces of nature. And he declared, peace be still. But do you know what the marvelous thing is? What he did 2,000 years ago, he still does today. In the context of your life journey, in the context of your situations and your circumstances, in the context of the storms that you and I face in life, he still enters and declares, peace be still. Not just the God of history, but the God of our present reality. Remember, He's Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. A young Navy officer who had just gotten married was on a honeymoon cruise with his young bride. And as they were in that ship, the ship was being tossed about because of the storms that they faced. The young bride was absolutely frightened and she was upset and she began to murmur and complain. This naval officer knew the captain of the ship and so he was rather calm. His wife got very angry at him because he was not expressing the sentiments that, he was, that she was expressing. And so she began to murmur and complain even more. Out of a sense of uh, desperation, he took his sword, pulled it out of its sheath, and he put the pointed edge to her throat. She looked at him and smiled. You're not afraid? He asked. No, she said. I'm not afraid of the sword when it's in the hands of the one who loves me. And then she got the point. You don't have to be afraid of the storm when it's in the hands of the one who loves you with an everlasting love. Everything that happens in your life, he knows about it, even before it happens. A God who knows all things, a God who sees all things, a God who can do all things. That's the kind of God whom we worship. But the most wonderful part is, that he's not a God in the distance. He's a God who is with us. And when he steps into a situation, 
when he steps into a particular circumstance, he always speaks peace. That is why Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what hurdles you're facing. I, know, I don't know what mountains you're climbing. I don't know what difficulties you're experiencing. I don't know what storms you're going through in the context of your life, in the context of your family, in the context of this community. Whatever it is, he wants to say to you, he wants to say to your families, he wants to say to this community, this congregation, this church, my power is available for you. I can do all things. I can do the impossible. Because in my economy, the possibilities always outweigh the impossibilities. I have unlimited power. And my power is promised to you. We have the promise of his power. In journeying with Christ, we have the promise of his presence. We have the promise of his power. And finally and quickly, we have the promise of his very person. The promise of his very person. Look at verse 40. What does it say? Jesus asked them, why were you so fearful? Why did you not have any faith? And then in verse 41, we see the response of the disciples. The Bible says that they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? They feared exceedingly. Earlier on, they were afraid, but it was cowardly fear. Now they're afraid. They fear exceedingly because they're filled with a sense of awe and a sense of bewilderment. They look at Jesus and they ask this question, who is this guy? Who is this man? The winds and the seas, the forces of nature are obeying him. What kind of authority is this? Who is he in the essence of his person? Who is this person? Yes, we are fascinated by his presence and his power, but we want to understand the reality and the nature and the essence of his person. My dear friends, it's not just some murky presence in the background. It is not just some universal cosmic power that you tap into. I'm saying this because there's a lot of talk about spirituality, especially in this culture, because of the influence of New Age and Eastern philosophies. We talk about some sort of a murky presence in the background, some sort of power that we can tap into, that we somehow run into, that we somehow immerse ourselves in. That's not what the Bible talks about. Because his presence and his power are anchored in the reality and the essence of his person. And unless you have a relationship with his person, you will not experience his presence or his power in your life. Relationship with Christ. This very person who was given for you and for me. That is what Isaiah says, does he not? The child was naturally born, but the son was supernaturally given. The son was not born. The child was born. The son existed eternally as a second person of the Trinity. And he was graciously and supernaturally given for you and for me. Organic union with the human race. Go. God in our midst, not just a manifestation of God, not just an avatar, but God in the flesh. Metaphysically, it was God in the flesh. That's why Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is what we call the hypostatic union. 
fully God, but not merely God. Fully human, but not merely human. It's not 50-50, it's 100%. Two natures in one person. In our midst, in his very person. And that's why they ask, what manner of man is this? Who is this Jesus? Look at the winds, look at the waves, the forces of nature. They're under his command. What manner of man is this? My dear friends, true worship begins. Please hear me this morning. True worship begins when you stand before him speechless with a sense of awe and a sense of bewilderment and you ask, what manner of man is this? There is a sense of awe and reverence that we've lost in the church. Worship has become so casual. Yes, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But he is also God Almighty. Are you hearing me this morning? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven. What is the next phrase? Hallowed be thy name. Relation and distinction. A God who is with us, but a God who is lifted up as Almighty, the Holy Other, as the theologians used to say in the early church. We need to recover that sense of worship where we come before him with a sense of fear and trembling. Richard Foster, in one of his books, writes that worship is the human response to the divine initiative. Beautifully put. Worship is the human response, your response and my response, to the divine initiative, to a God who became man, to a creator who became the redeemer, to the word that became flesh, and dwelt among us in his very person. John Milton, the English poet, captures it marvelously. That glorious form, that light unsufferable, and that far-beaming blaze of majesty, he laid aside, and here with us to be, forsook the courts of everlasting day, and chose with us a darksome house of mortal clay. Organic union with the human race. James Irvin, the commander of Apollo 15, was on the moon, and he was walking around, and he thought to himself, this is the greatest, greatest and the most noble achievement of humanity down through the ages, down through the centuries, down through history, man walking on the moon. The Holy Spirit spoke to him at that moment and told him, I did something even greater. I walked on the earth. I walked on the earth. Jesus the very person in our midst. There is no one like him. Absolutely no one like him, unparalleled in human history. Napoleon Bonaparte once said, I know men, and Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person, there are no possible terms of distinctions. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I conquered empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Christ alone conquered purely by the power of his love. And he still does. And he still does. G.K. Chesterton called him the glory of heaven. Francis Thompson called him the hound of heaven. The Bible calls him the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. What manner of man is this? This is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, a present help in time of trouble, a shelter in the storm, the one who provides strength when the burdens grow heavy, and the one who gives us hope even in the midst of death. 
And he is looking at you and he is looking at me this morning and he's saying to us, journey along with me just as I did with the disciples. And in this journey of life, there is no guarantee that you will not face any storms on the way. But in every storm that you face, I myself will be with you in my very person and I will carry you through. And I myself will carry you through in every situation, every circumstance of your life journey. Henry Morehouse was a great and noble evangelist. At one point, he was very burdened in his life and in his ministry. One day he came home, and he was walking up to his house, and he saw his daughter Minnie sitting on the porch. You see, Minnie was paralyzed from the neck down. She was sitting right there. Morehouse went, went up to her and asked her, where is mother? Minnie said, Mommy is upstairs. Morehouse had a package for his wife. He looked at Minnie and said, Let me give this package to mother, and then I'll come and spend some time with you. Minnie looked at her father and said, Oh, Papa, let me, let me take that package to Mommy. Morehouse broke down and began to sob uncontrollably. He looked at his paralyzed daughter and he asked her, But Minnie, dear, how? Will you take this package to your mother? You can barely carry yourself. How will you carry this package? Minnie looked at her father and said, Oh, Papa, why don't you place that package on my lap? I'll carry the package, and you carry me. And that is what Morehouse did. He gently placed the package on Minnie's lap. Minnie carried the package, and he carried Minnie up those stairs. As he was carrying her up the stairs, the word of the Lord came to him that this was just his position in his life and in his ministry. He was carrying all of his burdens, but was not the very person of God himself ultimately carrying him. A God who says, I am with you in my very person. Every situation, circumstance of life, I will never leave you. I will never desert you. That is my promise to you. And when your strength runs out, when you feel that your hope is fading, when you place your faith and your hope and your trust in me, I promise you that I will carry you through. I will carry you through. The promise of his presence, the promise of his power, the promise of his very person. Let me just tie it together with an illustration and conclude, because this illustration brings a sense of hope to my own heart. King George, speaking to a nation in distress in 1939, ended his address with these words. I said to the man at the gate of the year, give me a light so that I may tread safely into the unknown. The man at the gate of the year said, go out into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God and it shall be to you better than the light and safer than any known way. In a world where so much is happening, we just heard from Pastor Robert Case, so much is happening. In our lives, so many things converge and coalesce. Unexpected turns, unexpected twists, things we could not even phantom. How do I get through this life? Put your hand in the hand of God, for he promises you his presence. Put your hand in the hand of God, for he promises you his power. Put your hand in the hand of a God who promises you his very person, and it shall be to you better than the light and safer than any known way. Step into the uncertainties of your tomorrows, standing 
on the promises of God as you journey with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time when we could meditate on the truth found within. Help us not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Help us, Lord, in a world where there is so much turmoil, in a world where there is so much pain, so much in terms of disasters, so many wars, so many people killing each other, so much anger and frustration, not only in the Middle East, but all over the world, and especially in this country. We bring it all before you. And in our life journey, as we journey with you, we ask you, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your very person. Continue to work in and through us and work in and through this church for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.